Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 197 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. Once again, I'm on my own this week, so please stick with me for the duration of the show if you can. I am without Ayaz Sumra. Um, apparently, he's been spotted in two different parts of the world. I think one person said they saw him in Asia. Someone else said they saw him in Eastern Europe. Not quite sure what to believe. Still, he is missing, so the show must go on. As always, um, we did a t-shirt competition on last week's show and absolutely no one got it. So I put it out on Twitter and someone got it uh, Someone got it on Twitter. So remember, keep listening for the competitions because I'm sure that someone was probably listening to the podcast that knew the answer but forgot to send it in or something like that. But um, someone on Twitter beat you to it. So remember, you, you get a few days head start if you listen to the podcast because I only put the competition on Twitter about three or four days after the podcast have been released. So listen carefully, try to get the next competition answer right, and you could end up with a Boxar Podcast t-shirt if you're the first person. Uh, but anyway, leaving all that behind for a moment, let's start now with the review part of the show. We're going to start last Thursday at the Fantasy Springs Casino. It was only a few hours after we did the podcast last week. Friend of the show, Jason Quigley. Boy, oh boy. Very promising fighter, Jason Quigley, a guy that I thought, I even said it on last week's show, Turiano Johnson uh, is a decent opponent, but a guy that Jason Quigley should beat and beat well, and he can probably beat guys above Turiano Johnson, well, hold my horses, I suppose, because Jason Quigley actually retired on his stall after nine rounds, his corner didn't send him out for the tenth and final round, obviously, Dominic Ingle made the call there to stop the fight. It was for the NABF middleweight title. Quigley literally got beaten up, to be honest, for the for the duration of the fight. So a good win there for Toriano Johnson. That that kind of um, changes his momentum, if you like, because the best fights he's had, he's lost, to be honest. And this is a big fight, and he's managed to win. So a good result, 21-2 and two with one draw, Toriano Johnson. And Jason Quigley loses his own, now 16-1. and one. Moving out now to the Magna Centre in Rotherham, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Just one fight to mention, really. Friend of the show, Gavin McDonnell, former two-time world title challenger. He picked up his 21st win. He's got two losses and two draws. It was a points win over six rounds against journeyman Jamie Spate. Now 15 and 36, Jamie Spate. Moving out now to the MGM National Harbour in Oxon Hill, Maryland. I'm really going to go through this very quickly here. Um, friend of the show, Cassius Cheney, moved to 16 and a knockout in the very first round against Joel Caudle, who's now 8-3 and three with two draws. So, like I say, Cassius Cheney, 16-0. Uh, friend of the show, Dusty Hernandez-Harrison, now 33-0. It was a seventh-round TKO against Juan De Angel, who's now 21-12 and 12 with one draw. So, a good win there for Harrison. Like I say, very big, undefeated uh, streak there. 33-0 with one draw. 
hasn't lost the fight yet. Harrison, a good fighter, by the way. Um, also on this bill, we should mention Tiafimo Lopez topped it. He's now 14-0, by the way. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Masayoshi Nakatani. 18-0 was, was Nakatani going in. He lost his O, 18-1 now. But it went in the distance, and a lot of people thought that he'd get... Nakatani out of there, you know, very early. I certainly thought so. I think I said he would stop him early. He would, um, you know, make a real statement and then go for the world title. Well, not so impressive by Tiafimo Lopez. I think some people are probably going a little bit too hard with the criticism. I mean, he won, you know, the majority of the rounds, obviously. And just because he didn't get the knockout doesn't really mean it wasn't a good performance. I think he needed to bank some rounds, Lopez, because he's only a young guy. I think he's still 21 years of age, and they're trying to push him into a world title fight. And it could just be a little bit too early. I said that to him when he came on the show. So let's just let's just hold our horses, really, with the criticism. He needs to get those rounds in before taking on someone like a Richard Comey or even a Lomachenko, you know? So... We uh, we need to just calm down with that, but a good win by Lopez. I had no problem with it. Like I say, it wasn't what we expected. I think we did expect an early knockout. It didn't happen, but it doesn't mean it was a bad performance by Lopez. And um, obviously, these things happen in boxing not very often, but when they do happen, it really does hit home. It really does hurt the heart. Uh, we should mention Maxim Dadashev. He was undefeated, actually. 13-0 going into this fight against Sabriel Matias, who was also 13-0. Both men are identical records. Uh, somebody's O obviously had to go, and it ended up being Dadashev. Um, he 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 retired on his store after, after the 11th round. It was a 12-round contest, and his trainer pulled him out before the start of the 12th round. He was pleading with him to stop the fight, and the very... Um, the very hard-headed Dadashev, very stubborn Dadashev, being a true, true fighter. He didn't want the fight stopped. You know, he, he didn't want to agree with his trainer that the, that the fight should be stopped. But the trainer made the right call. The trainer pulled him out of the fight. And um, it proved to be the right move at the time because after the fight, Dadashev fell into what I believe was was a coma. He went to to the hospital, and then everyone was playing back the the clip of his trainer stopping the fight, and they were saying this is great that he did this. You know, he's potentially saved his fighter's life. But unfortunately, um, Dadashev did lose his life, and uh, like I say, just complete tragedy. Our hearts, or my heart certainly, eyes isn't with me, but. Our hearts, I'm sure wherever Ayaz is, his heart goes out to the family of Maxim Dadashev. Um, just completely tragic, it really is. And, you know, off the back of, of a boxer losing their life like that, we're actually going to be speaking to a guy who's been in that position where a guy he thought lost his life. We're going to be speaking to a guy not on this week's show, but perhaps next week or the week after. And we will get an insight to what it's like being the boxer in the other corner. You know, it can obviously leave you in such a depressed state and it can make you question if you want to continue with your career, even though you need to for money reasons. But yeah, RIP there to Maxim Dadashev. Extremely hard to, to even talk about the situation. Moving out now, though, to Russia at the Central Square. Uh, one fight to mention over here. It was a rematch between Maxim Vlasov, 43-3 and going in against Isaac Chalemba, 25-6 and with two draws. It was for the vacant Eurasia Boxing Parliament light heavyweight title. Um, Chalemba, I think, won the first fight, I think. Um, could have that wrong, actually. I think Chalemba did win the first fight, but it was about nine years ago or something. So it's a, Or about seven, 
seven years ago, something like that. It's a, it's a long time to wait for a rematch, but the rematch happened, and Vlasov actually managed to pick up the win unanimously over 12 rounds. Chilemba did have a point deducted in the 11th round for spitting his mouthpiece out. Um, yeah, you know... Uh, quite quite surprised him really because I don't rate Vlasov that much. I think he's got quite an inflated record. But Chalemba, I think, has got too many miles on the clock right now. Um, you know, again, I'd love to have seen Anthony Yard fight Chalemba um, if that fight could have happened before, obviously, the world title fight with with uh, Kovalev arised. Um, moving out now to the Brentwood Centre in Essex, United Kingdom, an MTK show here. Harlem Eubank moved to 9-0. It was a points win over six rounds against Michael Carrero. Carrero was actually down twice in the sixth and final round, but he managed to survive it. 13-51 and 51 with six draws, Carrero. Uh, Thomas Patrick Ward moved to 27-0. It was an eight-round points win against Brian Marina, who's now 10-13 and 13 with one draw. Shaquille Day took on Louis Adolphe. Both men... Uh, I was going to say both men were undefeated, but I'm forgetting Adolfi's got that disqualification loss. He is now 10-2, and two, though. It was his second loss, Adolfi, but Shaquille Day remains undefeated, 13-0. and 0. Uh, Adolfi was down twice in the ninth round, and he had a point deducted in the eighth for holding. Um, it was for the vacant Southern Area welterweight title, so Shaquille Day, in my eyes, makes a bit of a statement there, to be honest. Uh, also on the bill... A fighter I'm a big fan of, Michael McKinson, moved to 17-0. He also picked up the vacant WBO European welterweight title. He managed to get a 10-round unanimous decision win against Evgeny Pavko. Uh, So that is a statement there. Um, But topping the bill, Chantel Cameron against Anisha Bashir. I said it on last week's show. Bashir lost her first five fights in a row. Then she went on to have eight knockout wins on the bounce. And most of them early, if not all of them. It was for the WBC Silver Female Lightweight title. And, you know, I said it was going to probably be a war. I said that Chantel Cameron may even get hurt along the way. But no, Chantel Cameron bossed it. And uh, really, really impressed. Because Bashil, like I say, she can absolutely whack. She really can. And Chantel Cameron managed to box to a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds. So Bashil once again shows she's very tough as well. She she gives anyone a hard fight. Her record's now 8-6. and six, But, like I say, that doesn't look a great record. But she's a complete beast. And I'd like to see her in with someone like a Katie Taylor. Someone like that. Um, I don't think she... I don't think she should fight... Um, Natasha Jonas, I think that's a bit too hard of a fight for Jonas, really. But Chantel Cameron undefeated, still 11-0 now. Now we move, though, to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. Let's start with the undercard over here. Uh, Charlie Duffield actually lost. He's now 7-2. It was a TKO in the sixth round against Dan Aziz, who's now 9-0. It was for the vacant Southern Area light heavyweight title. Duffield's corner threw the towel in, so a good win there for Dan Aziz from Lewisham. Um... You know, a, a fighter that has boxed on a lot of small hall shows. I think this is probably his first taste of a big kind of card, even though he was the first fighter on the televised card. But um, all the best to him. Good fighter. You know, he's he's had some interesting fights already in his career. And I think he's got quite a bit of potential. I'd like to see him in with a few other domestic kind of rival kind of fights and uh, it'd be interesting to see if he emerges on top of those those clashes that really can be made in that light heavyweight division there's a lot a lot a lot of fighters there in Britain to fight uh, also on the bill Lawrence Acoli moved to 13 and it was a TKO in the seventh round against Mariano Gudino who's now 13 and free it was for Lawrence Acoli's WBA continental cruiserweight title he obviously didn't get to defend his British uh, and, and Commonwealth title. 
Uh, Godino was down in the third round and three times in the seventh round. Uh, like I say, didn't really have that much notice, Godino, but he put up a decent effort. You know, he, he didn't really come to survive. He tried to win. He tried to go out of Coley at times in that fight. Um, let's now talk about Richard Reakpour against Chris Billum-Smith. It ended up being a split decision over 10 rounds in favor of Reakpour. Uh, it was for the WBA Intercontinental Cruiserweight title. Chris Billum-Smith loses his own now 9-1. and Reakpour double-figure wins 10-0. and Billum-Smith was actually given a count in the seventh round. Um, it was an interesting fight. It was a great fight, actually. Very technical. Uh, the first round, I actually gave it to Smith. I felt like his work on the inside was the smarter of the two. He seemed to take a lot of Reakpour's big shots on his gloves. In the second round, once again, I gave it to Smith. It, it, I just felt like he was a little bit cleaner on the inside once again. The third round, I gave it to Smith. Um, I just felt, over the whole fight, Smith did win quite a few of the early rounds due to his inside work. And Reakpour was doing a hell of a lot of leaning on Smith. And it really did play a part, I felt, late on in the fight. The referee... Um, you know, was 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 not doing a good job of controlling that. It seemed to be a great tactic, like I say, because Smith was very tired in the later stages of the fight. And the seventh round was a big round for Reakpour. You know, he finally started to now Smith with big shots. And Smith did show a great chin. Um, but, you know, it did seem like he was coming undone there in that seventh round. And uh, just as I kind of skimmed through these rounds, I didn't completely score it entirely. But I gave the ninth round to Reakpour and I gave the tenth round to Smith. Um, like I say, it was a scrappy fight at times, and the referee, I was quite disappointed in, but uh, Reactor got the win, I think the knockdown was a little, little bit questionable, I think, like, he kind of um, fell into the ropes, and he was complaining about it, Billum Smith, I think... I think that probably cost him the fight just about. I mean, you couldn't really fault Reactor, you know. We sh- we saw a lot, actually, from Chris Billum Smith. I saw more to his game than I did Reactor, but... Reakpour's a tough guy, he took a lot of big shots as well, and that is probably a fight he's going to really improve from, I think it's a good learning fight really for both men, and I'd love to see a rematch, completely would love to see a rematch, I really would, but the knockdown I think played a big part in the scorecards for me. Uh, moving up the card once again, let's now talk about uh, let's talk about Derek Chisora, now 31-9, and nine. it was his 40th fight, he needed a big win and he certainly got it, it was a KO in the second round against friend of the show Artur Spilker, who's now 22-4, and four. Um, I mean, that, that second round when the shot came in from Chisora, it was a brutal, brutal knockout, he was out on his feet, Spilker, it kind of reminded me of when David Price took that last free shot off Povetkin when his guard went down. It was that kind of same style. Not as brutal as that one from Povetkin, because that was just one of the worst knockouts I've seen in recent years, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I did expect the knockout. I called the knockout on the Prediction League, and that is what happened. So a lot of people were shocked. A lot of people were actually picking Spilka. Um, but yeah, completely completely demolished him did Derek Chisora and just touching on the predictions there let me go back and have a little look um yeah I went with Chisora knockout the listeners went with Chisora knockout so well done to you guys there but I as went with Chisora on points so no point for I as there uh moving up the card once again let's now talk about 
the Dave Allen and David Price fight. Um, this one was actually for a belt in the end. It was for the vacant WBA Continental Heavyweight title. David Allen now 17-5 and five with two draws. David Price 25-6. and six. Um, Obviously a retirement after 10 rounds in the corner of Dave Allen. Let's talk about the fight just briefly. Um, yeah, I mean, Price was, was popping out his jab. I felt like that was you know, a key punch during the fight. I said it again on last week's show. I didn't think that Allen would be able to get behind David Price's jab if he actually keeps popping it out, um, you know, and using it smartly. And he did do that. Um, he won the first, second and third round. In that third round, he was finding Allen way too easily. Obviously, we know that Allen's got quite a leaky defense. And Price at that stage was fighting at a pace that he was very comfortable with. It was nice and easy. Um, the fourth round was a closer round. I felt like Allen finally did get through with some shots, but then again, so did Price. And I felt like I probably gave that round to Allen in the fourth round. It was a bit of a sympathy kind of round. In the fifth round, that was where Price actually looked like he was blowing quite hard. And it was totally one-sided to that point. Like I say, about four rounds to one, something like that. And I just couldn't credit Price enough for boxing so smartly because I knew what he needed to do and he probably knew what he needed to do. A lot of people knew what he needed to do, but actually doing it is obviously a lot harder. And, you know, the difference in pedigree between the two was obviously astronomical. I mean, David Price on paper should have should have won it really easy and he did he did but obviously Dave Allen it's never simple with him he is inhumanely tough um but that's really all he had to offer and like I say Price found him with devastating shots all night and in my opinion Darren Barker did the right thing by pulling Allen out in the corner and Allen seemed to nod about it too it seemed like he um you know accepted it I think he's come out since and said yes you know I I didn't want to fight on um, but yeah, I think that's probably the end now of the Allen hype. I don't want to upset Ricey here. One of our very, very best listeners. I, I do love Ricey. Um, he, he actually said to me, I've got to say it, Ricey, sorry. But Ricey on Fight Week said that Dave Allen will be, or is, at this stage, a decent European level fighter. Well... Yes, I don't think so. Um, but no, I do. I do like. I do like Dave Allen, and you know he's made a lot of money without really getting a great win. When you think about it, I mean, it was a great win against Lucas Brown with that body shot. But Lucas Brown, I think, is right at the tail end of his career. Even though we will be speaking to him later on in the show, um, I'm going to tell him as well that I did think he should have retired. Uh, you know, or I, I thought he'd retire if he got stopped by by Allen. Even though it was by a body shot in the end, and I didn't know that when I said it, you know, I said, I'm making this really confusing. I said before the fight that if Lucas Brown got knocked out, then he should probably retire, but I meant like a knockout with a headshot, not actually a body shot, but I'll address this later on. Um, yeah, you know, but, but you know, Brown, I feel like he's at the tail end of his career. I think he'd probably admit that as well. I mean, he got dropped by Sokolowski a few weeks before that Dave Allen fight, let's not forget, and he was 40 years of age, and, you know, um, massively, it seems like, on the decline since losing to White in the fashion that he did. But, yeah, you know, David Price, we all knew that he'd regressed terribly, and that was the only reason that this fight was close to a 50-50 going into it. But the truth is, Dave Allen couldn't really hang with a regressed Price, and I actually think that Dave Allen should retire because I think health is very important in this sport. We've been reminded of that earlier on in the show when I discussed what happened with Dadashev, and I just think it's the right thing to do now for... Um, for Dave Allen because like I say he's made some good money everyone really likes him he can probably do a few things outside of boxing you know he can probably go on a few talk shows and 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of big things for Dave Allen, even outside of the ring, I feel. So he shouldn't keep putting his health at risk, you know, unless he wants to really drop down a level because he's obviously not at the level near David Price. But the size difference was a big factor. Let me just throw that out there. Um, I think Price will now get a top 15 ranking with a WBA. But again, he needs to be careful as well because he's certainly at the tail end as well. Uh, but yeah, that's about it though for that one. Moving up the card for the final time. Dillian White, 26-1 and one now. It was for the interim WBC World Heavyweight title. But in the other corner was the previously undefeated Oscar Rivas, 26-0. and 0. White himself was down in the ninth round. But let's talk about it. Um, a lot of people being very critical of Dillian White. I actually thought he boxed excellently. I think his double jabs were brilliant. He showed a whole load of punch variation, and I really do mean that. I mean, aside from the jabs, we saw double left hooks, we saw savage body shots, uh, we saw monster uppercuts, and like I say, in the ninth round, when he went down, it was a beautiful right uppercut from Rivas, and White got up and weathered a big storm, actually, because Rivas knows how to finish you. We should, we saw that in the in the Brian Jennings win, and fortunately for Dillian, he actually had Mark Tibbs, obviously, in his corner, giving him proper advice, and you could see the veins in Mark Tibbs' neck as he was shouting at Dillian White, because Dillian was fighting fire with fire a little bit when he was hurt. That's the only way he knows. He loves to tear up as well, Dillian. But the rounds following the knockdown, I think White boxed really well, and showed a lot of discipline and maturity. So I was really impressed, actually, with that performance from Dillian White. And again, you know, he, he can't keep having these big fights. And a lot of people get onto him saying, oh, he didn't take that fight, he didn't take that fight. But the fact is, he's took loads and loads of near 50-50 fights. You know, Parker, Chisora in the rematch. I never thought he'd actually give a rematch to Chisora because the first one was so close. You know, I feel like I'm missing someone out as well. He fought someone else. Lucas Brown, a lot of people thought was going to be a close fight. So did I. I think I even picked Brown to win it. But yeah, you know, there's so many fights that that he's had now in a row. And, and they've been close to 50-50s. And it seems like his luck will run out at one point. You know, he can't keep having these risky fights. I have to say it, guys. I know you probably don't want to hear me say this, but he got dropped there. He got dropped. Did he get dropped by Parker, or was he out on his feet in the last round? I can't remember if he got dropped or not, but he's had a couple of close ones, and you just think, wow, after being hurt, one serious punch could end it all. Forget about this mandatory thing, 600 days. That'll all go out the window. So he needs to just be a bit careful, Dillian White, and I like him, and he's a great fighter. I think he can win these fights, but, you know, they're putting a bit of mileage on his clock, and I don't want to see him going into a, a Deontay Wilder fight um, after having four nip and tuck fights, you know, back and forth, back and forth, four proper wars where he's been hurt in each of them. I don't want to see that. So uh, I think they're talking about a drop down in level of opponents for his next fight because it's only really going to be a keep busy kind of fight later on in the year. And um, I'm all for that. I think that's a smart thing to do, actually. But moving out now to the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Let's start with the undercard. Um, Effia Jagbar. I actually thought this one was going to be over pretty quickly, but I... I didn't really take into account that Ali Demarizan, I think his name is said in the other corner, was a good a good amateur himself, obviously went to the Olympics. So both men are Olympians and both men were undefeated, obviously. Um, Demarizan was 11-0, a Jagba 10-0. A Jagba's very busy for a big guy. He's six foot six, but he throws a lot of shots and he has showed a very good chin in that fight there. He took some great punches by Demarizan and... Um, you know, if you can't knock him out, he's going to be hard to outland, I feel, a Jagbar. But again, I really thought he'd probably get Demarizan out of there because he's been knocking people out very early. I don't think he'd been past, 
was it five rounds or six rounds, something like that. He'd knocked everyone out that actually had fought him. The only the only reason on his record that he hasn't got a 100% knockout ratio is because of that fight where the, the fighter, Curtis Harper, jumped out the ring as soon as the first bell went. So that counted as a disqualification win for Effie Jagger, but it doesn't actually count as a knockout. So it you, you, without looking into it, you'd think, oh, he went the distance. No, he didn't go the distance. The fight ended after two seconds. So uh, all of his fights really have been early knockouts, and I expected the same, but no, he went the distance. And again, he's a young guy, needs to bank the rounds, and I feel like, again, he'll learn a lot from that. He went 10 rounds there. He didn't really seem to slow down over the course of the fight, but certainly Demarizan put in a great effort. And again, I'd like to see him in. You know, loads and loads of other fights. He didn't disgrace himself. It was a close fight. He actually had a shout, really, for for kind of saying that he probably just about nicked it. I think in his in his mind because it was a close fight, probably like a seven kind of five fight in my opinion, probably to a Jagba. Um, I think Demarizan again couldn't really match the punch output, but he certainly had the accuracy. I think he had higher accuracy, um, higher you know landing percentage, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it was a much more competitive fight, like I say, than I expected. And yeah, the first time a Jagba has gone the distance properly. Also, Demarizan, he'd only been the distance one time himself. Uh, also on the bill, Sergei Lipanets, 15-1, and one, now 16-1. and one. Um, It was a TKO in the second round against J.R. Inson, who's now 18-3. Uh, and three. Again, uh, Lipanets, a guy that was supposed to be taking on John Molina Jr., but instead of that, he ended up taking on um, this guy here, who I believe was a southpaw, and it was late notice, so it can really throw you off your game, but it didn't seem to do that for Lipanets, and even when he got the knockout, he didn't seem too pleased. I think he wanted more of a fight. He was probably gearing himself up for a proper war with John Molina Jr., and uh, like I say, Molina had to pull out late notice, which was a real blow, actually, to the card itself, because that fight on there would have just put the cherry on the icing on the cake. But um, Lipanets, like I say, excellent finish to the fight. Um, he missed a left hook, and then he ducked a shot from Inson, and then he popped back up. Like, he ducked it, popped back up, and then they both swung left hooks, and Lipanets got there first, and it knocked his man down, face down on the canvas. Uh, it was a brutal knockdown. I mean, his, his opponent did actually get back up, so credit to Inson, and the referee, Jay Nady, waved it off, which I felt was a slight little bit premature. Even though the, the knockdown looked really brutal, he seemed like his head was quite clear, Inson. So I feel like Jay Nady might have been a little bit quick there, but... You know, it was one-sided, really. Lipanets did excellent there. It's another good win for him. Um, another friend of the show. And also, talking of friends of the show, like I say, Caleb Plant, now 19-0. It was a successful defense of his IBF World Super Middleweight title. He beat Mike Lee, the previously undefeated. Uh, Lee actually was 21-0 going in, now 21-1. It was a great start in round one from Caleb Plant. You know, he showed his very quick hands. His reflexes were fantastic. Mike Lee did try backing Caleb Plant up, which I felt was probably the right kind of tactics, really. Um, but he was just walking into shots. I mean, his head movement wasn't really there. Caleb's jab was effective in that first round. And then, like I say, Caleb jumped in with a short, fast and hard left hook late in the in the first round. And uh, he knocked Mike Lee down. So that was the first knockdown. I don't want to go overboard, but it was a little bit Prince Nassim-esque, the way he kind of jumped in with the left hook and then dropped his man. I think I've seen a clip of, I can't remember who it was against, but Nassim did that to someone. He kind of was crouching down like, like some kind of tiger. Then he pounced up, hit him with a left hook, and down he went. It was that same kind of knockdown. 
Um, but yeah, the second round, another another round for Caleb Plant. Again, great movement from him. Uh, Mike Lee tried talking to Caleb Plant in there. He was trying to kind of unnerve him and get under his skin, but Caleb wasn't going to fall for anything like that. He kept his composure and he won the round comfortably. And straight away, again, Lee just looked like a level below the fighters like Caleb Plant. And then in the third round, that was where it all went wrong for Mike Lee. A big overhand right down went... Mike Lee, um, he got back up and then he just ran towards Caleb Plant and Plant literally caught him with a left hook. It was it was the first punch he threw. He, he literally made Mike Lee run into the left hook and Robert Bird actually ruled it a slip just to put just to put his stupid mark on the fight. He loves he loves a mistake, doesn't he, Robert Bird? He actually ruled it a slip. It was the craziest slip I've ever seen. I mean, he's, there was no water on the canvas. He walked into a left hook and got put down. There was no slip about it. Um, again, Lee got back up and then he got dropped again and that was where Robert Bird finally did wave it off and again, Mike Lee was protesting but he'd been down three times in that round despite two of them being counted and, and one of them he got away with so no real complaint with that it was the fourth time he was down you know, uh, in the fight so I didn't want to see him go down for a, the fifth time in a fight and the fourth time in one round so good stoppage there from Robert Bird uh, also on the bill, Lewis Neri moved to 30-0. and It was for the WBC Silver Bantamweight title against Juan Carlos Payano, now 21-3. and um, Again, a much tougher fight than I thought it was going to be going in. I felt like Neri would probably get him out of there within the first four rounds. But he did finally catch up with him. Um, he, he threw some great body shots during the fight, Neri. It seemed to slow Payano down and he did... Like I say, catch up with him finally at the, uh, the, the, the you know the sort of tail end of the fight. Like I say, the stoppage came in the ninth round of a scheduled twelve. Uh, also on the bill, your Dennis Ugas now twenty four and four. It was a win against Omar Figueroa, friend of the show. He loses his O. He's now twenty eight and one with one draw. Um, very sad to see actually. Um, Figueroa in the first round came out aggressive as as always. Really, he was obviously giving away size. Again, as always, because he's not really fighting at a weight class he should be fighting at. And he just fought a little bit too recklessly. He ended up getting knocked down in the very first round. I mean, it, it was a weird one again because he got hit and then he kind of fell into the rope. And, uh, you know, they probably did keep him on his feet, to be honest. Unlike what happened with Chris Billum Smith, it wasn't as bad. Uh, you know, Billum Smith's one wasn't as bad as this one. And the referee did call it a knockdown. But like I say, Omar Figueroa does love a war. And uh, straight away, I just thought, this is not going the distance. Uh, that was my initial thoughts anyway. And then in the second round, again, the referee was on Ugas's case for holding. And I felt like it was a bit harsh from the referee. It seemed like it was both of their faults, really. Um, and again, in the second round, it was another Ugas round. Omar was just being caught coming in all the time. He was taking two or three shots to land one, and he didn't appear to be the bigger puncher. So it was looking bad already at that stage. Uh, Ugas had a point took off him in the fifth round for holding. Again, I felt it was very harsh because both men were initiating clinches. But really, over the whole course of the fight... Um, Omar Figueroa didn't really do much at all. He seemed to pretty much lose every round. And, um, you know, it, it kind of hurts me to say that because I really have got a lot of time for Omar Figueroa. And um, it just wasn't the right fight for him. He's too small for welterweight and he's fighting a guy who's very big for welterweight. So it ended up with a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of Ugas, like I say. And Omar Figueroa loses his O in a very, very one-sided fight, to be honest with you. Uh, but moving up to the main event now, Manny Pacquiao, 62-7 and with two draws. It was a split decision win over 12 rounds against Keith Furman, who are now 
now has lost his O. Keith Furman is now 29-1. and one. It was for Furman's WBA Super World Welterweight title. Uh, obviously, Furman was down in the first round, but what a fight this was. It was a great, great fight. Um, yeah, the first round, I felt like Furman actually boxed well, and then he obviously got dropped by a straight left to the body, followed by a right hand to the chin of Furman, so it was like a power shot followed by a jab, it was a weird one, but the super speed of Pacquiao just can catch you completely off guard, and that is what happened, and I was shocked to see Furman down in that first round, um, in the second round, it was another round for Manny Pacquiao, he looked as good as ever, the speed was just unbelievable, it was a real problem for Furman, uh, the third round was a more controlled round for Furman, but I'm not sure he did enough to grab the round, Pacquiao still looked excellent, like I say, uh, in the fourth round, it was another Pacquiao round for me, um, based on what I'd seen at that point, you know, he looked he looked really good, and obviously there was no drug testing, but that's another thing, whether he's doing things he shouldn't be or not, who really knows for sure, but just based off of his performance, it's not a foregone conclusion if he were to fight someone like a Errol Spence or like a Terence Crawford, it's not a foregone conclusion, it really isn't, I mean, you've got to knock him out. You've got to knock him out. I mean, Spence is so big, so he might be able to keep him behind the jab like he did Garcia. But Garcia just didn't really get going, did he? And Pacquiao, you know, he always gets going with all of his shots. Um, He throws so many shots. So if you can't keep him off you, you need to knock him out. So Errol Spence has got the advantage. He's got the the edge in, in height and stuff like that. But Terence Crawford, I mean, that's a great fight. That's definitely not a foregone conclusion, like I say. Um, But yeah, keeping it on this fight here... um, yeah, the fifth round, another brilliant round for Pacquiao. I actually felt sorry for Furman at that point. Um, I, I gave him credit, Furman, because it was his first fight back since having that life and death comeback fight against Josecito Lopez, and he's jumped straight back in with Pacquiao. And it was all Pacquiao after five rounds, and you know, in that fifth round, especially at the back end of the round, Pacquiao really up to the ante, and he beat Furman up, and that was when he badly damaged Furman's nose. Now, that was after five rounds, but going into the sixth round, arguably, that was a Furman round. I felt like it was a great response from having your nose busted up in the fifth. Furman seemed to, it just seemed to wake him up or something. He seemed to really get going. And again, in the seventh round, I gave it to Furman. He did get hit a few times really late on in the round, but he dominated most of the round and landed some lovely power shots of his own. The eighth round, again, arguably was a Furman round. The ninth round was a Furman round, in my opinion. So the tide was really turning here. Uh, in the 10th round, that was where we saw Pacquiao deliver a lethal left hook to Furman's body. And he really winced Furman. He was in agony. You could see it. I think he spat his gum shield into his glove and then put it back in. But somehow, he returned fire and he landed some lovely big left and right hooks himself. And he managed to buy time by doing that, which kind of got him out the round. And Pacquiao obviously won that round. But what a shot. We saw the replay and credit to Furman for staying on his feet. He's a tough guy, Furman. He's a tough, tough guy. Doesn't doesn't get anywhere near the credit he should get. Um, in the 11th round, I think Furman probably did just about nick the round. And then in the 12th and final round, Pacquiao won that round for me. And like I say, I still couldn't believe that Furman even took the fight right after that bad performance against Josecito Lopez. What a chin, by the way, Manny Pacquiao has got. He, he just takes bombs on the chin. Um, every now and then, and it just doesn't even affect him. It doesn't even affect him. It actually excites him, but it was an incredible fight. I actually felt like saying it was worth the pay-per-view. It was a cheap pay-per-view. It wasn't £20. So I was, I was, you know, I was left thinking, yeah, I got my money's worth there. And um, two real warriors in that fight there. No real loser. Obviously, Furman did take the loss. Um, he showed so much heart in that fight. I actually had it 115-112 in favour of Manny Pacquiao. Obviously, the knockdown in the first round made it 
that wide, so it was it was quite an important point in the fight to get that knockdown for Manny. But like I say, Furman didn't disgrace himself, and arguably he's got the best resume at one four seven because he has fought Pacquiao, he has fought Danny Garcia, and he has fought Sean Porter, and um, he's he's won two of them, and the other one was a close-ish fight. The knockdown really cost him. Otherwise, I'd have had Manny Pacquiao up by one point or something like that. So, um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant fight, Keith Furman. And again, I, I need to see him come back. He doesn't need to go and take another two-year off or whatever. He needs to be straight back. I'd like to see him in with someone like... Someone like... Who could he beat pretty easily and look good against? i tell you who. Kell Brook. I'd like to see him with Kell Brook. I mean, I don't want to see it because I like Kell Brook, but... If I was Keith Furman, I'd be saying, yeah, Kelbrook, let's do it. Or perhaps someone just underneath that level, like a Ugas. I'd like to see him in with Ugas. I think he beats Ugas. It's a, he's a great fighter, Keith Furman. I can't take any... any uh, when people are bashing him and stuff like that, I, I absolutely can't take it. He will fight anyone. He's not avoiding Errol Spence. He's not avoiding the big fights. He just took Manny Pacquiao after looking terrible against Josecito Lopez. You've got to give him credit. I thought he was going to lose. I picked him to lose. Oh, that's just reminded me. The Prediction League. Let's go back to it real quickly here. Um, I went with Dillian White on points. Uh, that did happen. Uh, I as went with White by knockout. So did you, the listeners. So I gained a point there. I went with Pacquiao points. So did I as. But you, the listeners, went with Pacquiao by knockout. And uh, we mentioned I went with Chisora by knockout. Um, you guys went with Chisora by knockout also, and I went with Chisora on points, so we both gained a point there. And then Price, I went with Price by knockout, no one picked that. You, the listeners, went with Alan by knockout, and so did I as he went with Alan by knockout as well. So just me gaining a point on the Price Alan fight. Um, but yeah, that's about everything there, really. I know it's dragged on, but there was so much action to mention from last weekend. But yeah, um, Keith Furman, I, I want to see him in a lot of. You know, a lot of big fights after this, and he's certainly not done. He really isn't, and he took the defeat like a champion. He really did. He was really, you know, humble, and he was giving Manny a lot of credit and stuff like that. He's a true champion. He's a great role model, Keith Furman. And Manny Pacquiao, as for him, I mean, there's so many fights out there again for him. I'd like to see him in there with Terence Crawford, preferably. Um, and yeah, you know, there's there's many big fights for both of them, but like I say, it's dragging on now, that's it for the review part of the show, just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former professional fighter and now trainer to the WBO number one ranked light heavyweight in the world, it is of course Mr. Tunde Ajayi, Tunde, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Trainer and manager. Let's get that right. Trainer and manager. <laughs> We've got to get these things right, sir. <laughs> I, should have said, I shouldn't have just said former pro fighter. I should have said undefeated pro no. fighter as well, eh? Yeah, undefeated, undefeated manager, trainer. I like manager, trainer as opposed to trainer, manager because I just think manager sounds better. It sounds more official and, you know, we want to, we want to look professional. <laughs> So, so Tunde is finally on your man Anthony Yard against Sergei Kovalev, August twenty fourth in Russia. Firstly, though, has it been a frustrating period having to kind of wait for Kovalev's team to one hundred percent commit to the fight actually happening? Absolutely not. You know, um, as I've said from the very start, you know we've had a system. The system is a progressive system. The longer you leave it, the better it is for us. <laughs> so there is never any frustration where we're concerned because I created a system which is an infinite learning and uh, Anthony will never stop, get be- stop getting better. So for us, 
it was business as usual, just keep training. And uh, I mean, Anthony said it on various interviews. He's never focused on a particular person. He just has a dream, a goal, a vision, and it, it's going to be fulfilled. And here we are, you know, right there, uh, stage one. I call it stage one of his journey. And uh, we'll get to Russia, turn up, show up, blow up, lands in the camp, and then we'll go shake shack in Russia to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Sunday, I've heard it for ages now. Lots of people, lots of negative people saying, you know, Yard doesn't want to fight a big puncher. Yard doesn't want to fight Bugliano. Uh, yeah, yeah, Yard yeah. will never go to Russia. And when obviously when this fight got announced, all those people did a U-turn yes. and started applauding Anthony. Yes. It was quite a funny moment to see that on social media. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, listen, it's like I said on BT the other day, the nature of the beast, you know, life is polarity, good, bad, up, down, left, right, positive, negative. There's always going to be an opposite side. And our job, my job especially, uh, for Ant- you know, where Anthony's concerned is to always focus on the positive because we know how people are. The majority of people blow and change with the wind. <laughs> and that's what's happened, you know. And I and and I was actually always laughing, you know, that people would make such claims about ducking and dodging. When go and look at our records, I've said it over and over again. The Nicol the Nicolas fight was, according to he their own team, a dangerous fight. Nicolas Clocker was a world medalist as an amateur. Been in there with Arthur Abraham, Saki Obika. You know, these are world-class punches. None of them had ever put a, de- a dent in him, let alone drop him. You know, Anthony drops him in two and knocks him out in four. And that was Anthony at 50%. So where these claims came from was pure jealousy. It, was, it came from a place where we didn't do it the traditional way. So, and because of that, that's where, you know, it gave the haters, the naysayers, whatever you really want to call them, the opposite side leverage to say something that wasn't true. You know, we're going out there, we're representing the UK, and we're coming on with a belt, regardless of what anyone says. If you're for us, keep being for us. If you're against us, keep being against us. Because it's all energy, and we'll use it in a positive manner. Yeah, very well said. And I actually remember that that uh, Nicholas Svetlaka fight. I remember when I remember catching you actually when you were coming out of the ring. I remember you actually saying to me, "They can't say nothing now. They can't say nothing now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, trust me. Because I remember at the press conference, the guy was laughing at me. He said, "I don't know. You guys have made the biggest mistake ever. You know, this is a twelve fight novice. What is he doing in the ring?" And I remember. I don't know who set this up, but he was training in our gym the same time as us two days before the fight. And, I, and Andy was like, oh, oh, you sure we should be training when they're training? I said, forget about them, man. He's getting knocked out anyway. You cares? He can train the same time, same place. It's going to be the same result. So it, it, it's been a wonderful journey up until this point. And um, I'm very excited because... I won't say I told you so, because <laughs> that's not my nature. I won't say I told you so. I'll just be so happy uh, for Anthony, because, uh, you know, it's like I've said so many times, I'm a giver. I just believe that givers game. So Anthony winning 
is me winning. I'm, we're definitely going to win. Don't worry about that. No, absolutely. And and of course, this Kovalev fight did come up in the past. It was it was offered. The opportunity was turned down by Team Yard. What has actually changed for you to now really, really fancy your chances in this one, Tunde? Well, it was turned down by me. <laughs> let's get let's get that right. Anthony wants to fight. He's always wanted to fight. And that's what, you know, but the public, the fans, they're not privy to Anthony. They don't, they're not with Anthony every single day like I am. But I've always had a managerial head on. And as I said, I created a system. It was never about the opponent. It's where I saw Anthony was in the system and when I thought the right moves was. And regardless of people call me mad, crazy, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's not sparring. I remember, I remember walking into the gym for the Soklocka fight and, you know, certain people, I'm not going to call their names, they was like, what, what sparring have you had? What sparring have you had? I'm like, he's been sparring with me. <laughs> like, we ain't changed nothing. We never changed nothing. And, you know, 18 fights later, you know what it is. 18 fights, 17 KOs, everybody's touched the floor. Everybody's touched the floor. And uh, Mr. Kovalev ain't going to be no different. And obviously there was this brief talk for a little while about Kovalev perhaps even taking on Canelo. Again, was that just like a... Do you feel like that was kind of thrown <laughs> into the atmosphere to try and take the off the ball, perhaps? It could have been, but it was a genuine offer. I remember, again, I can talk about it now because it's gone. You know, Frank phoned me. Um, on the eve of the Tyson Fury fight. Um, what was that fight? It was in New York, right? Yeah, Tyson Fury's last fight. I think it was in New York. Yeah, I think Madison so, yeah. Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. And Frank told me and he, he told me, you know, he, he said, um, you know, they mentioned Canelo. Um, and if that's the case, you know, we're talking serious step aside money. So I was like, knock yourself out. Go, go ahead. I don't, I don't really care. But I, I, I was just keeping quiet about the whole thing because... I knew there was already a contract that was signed. So, you know, you have to let these things play themselves out. And, um, you know, uh, if I was Kovalev's management, I probably would have done the same thing if the deal was right and, um, and, and they were willing to... It was all, the last day was always with us because we're mandatory. You know, you, you're ever going to pay us to, to step aside money and fight the fight with a guarantee that we fight the winner or you do what you ended up doing, which is fighting us. You know, Canelo is a, is a number one athlete in the sport. He, 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 he commands and he demands certain things. And um, it, in my opinion, it was never enough time to promote a Canelo fight. Anyway, so I heard all the talk, I heard all the rumours, and I was like, this ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. I didn't even say it to Anthony and everything. But, you know, I, just, I, I stay focused. I stay focused. Me and Anthony, we stay focused. You know, and... Um, it doesn't matter. We never. That's why we took a few days off last week because we've been in the gym since the 11th of March, two days after our last contest. So I was like, you know what, Ant? I'm going to go over to Malta, a nice country. I've, I've always heard about it. Let me take a little break. And, you know, you go and have a few days off. And he went to Las Vegas, enjoyed himself, relaxed. You know, we're consummate professionals. So the Canelo fight was never a worry for me. Uh, I was like, it is where it is. If they want to take that fight, and, and guarantee us the winner with a huge step aside money, then do it. No problem. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that it was never going to happen. Yeah, no. 
fair enough. And obviously, Tunde, you and Anthony are very unique in many ways because you're the teacher, he's the student, but you're more like best friends or brothers, it would seem. And that also means that you've got a unique way of preparing for fights. For example, the pad work is pad work we don't really see much in the UK. I know that neither of you really go overboard when studying an opponent, but how much of Kovalev have you actually sat down and watched Tunde? Only once. And he got knocked out. <laughs> yeah, I must. That begs the question. Let me just say that begs the question, though. That was obviously one yeah. of his worst performances. So, does that? Is there any point even watching that? Should you not be watching him look good? Well, I watched him. I watched him. Well, it's like I said, and I, 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 I'll explain this to you and the, and the, the listeners. Frank asked me. I said, Chun, I'm telling you, this is the fight for you. And um, Frank Warren is someone that I've known for over 20 years. I respect his word. I respect his opinion. You know, I can turn my bank. And regardless of what anyone says, I trust Frank. I don't care. I trust him. But I'm, but I'm, I'm a man that you trust myself as well. So when Frank says to me, Tun, this is the fight. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I saw vulnerabilities in his previous contest. I said, all right, Frank. I hear you. Let me go to Atlantic City. And um, I watched him. And I watched him come out. And I was telling all the reporters afterwards, he didn't look like a shot fighter to me. He looked like a... He came out strong at the block. Uh, It looked like he lost concentration. um, And he got clipped. And he never recovered from that. And and he proved in the rematch um, that, you know, he he wasn't a a washed-up fighter. So... I watched three or four rounds of the rematch because, look, it's not a different Kovalev than the one that fought Nathan Kevin. It's the same Kovalev other than the fact that he's older, might have had a few drinks, <laughs> <laughs> might have had a few drinks, uh, a few parties. But it's the same co- Listen, boxing is not complicated. Eight punches, jab, right hand, left hook, right hook, left uppercut, right uppercut, left hook to the body, right hook to the body. Now, there's, there's numerous possibilities, just like in a, in a chess, chess match. After one or two moves, after three or four moves, there's like 197,000 possibilities. Boxing is not different from that. So the only thing is, is that a lot of the fighters, I would say 95% of them, only have one style. Kovalev is, a, is someone with a pedigree. He's got a boxing IQ. But I don't see nothing special. There's no special effects. I call it fish and chips. <laughs> That's what I call it. Fish and chips. Double jab right hand. Right hand, left hook. Basic. There's no pull counters. There's no lead left hook. There's no lead right hand. Stabs to the body followed by right hand crosses. There ain't none of that. There ain't none of that special effects. So it's not nothing I haven't ever seen before. It's not nothing I haven't seen in a gym. What we do know is he's very physically strong. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and when he prepares, he can beat around. And that's what I'm expecting. I'm not expecting to see another boxer in the ring, the one different to the ones that fought um, Andre Ward. I'm not. And I, again, I didn't even watch those fights in their entirety. I saw the, I saw the same clips what everyone sees when they come up to an Instagram or whatever, just the highlights. I've never sat down and studied any fighter other than Floyd Mayweather, Sugar Ray Leonard, 
Sugar Ray Robinson, Roy Jones Jr., James Tony, and Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, Julio, Julio Cesar Chavez. Those are my legends. Those are the guys I built my system of. Not modern day fighters. I don't need to watch modern day fighters because I created a system which is infinite, which I'm going to be studying till long after I'm gone. And whoever comes after me in the system is going to be studying it. So while I'm under that process of study and learning, I ain't watching no other file. I'm trying to, you know, better myself and master the systems that I wrote. And that's the only reason why I don't need to watch these files. And um, I ain't doing too bad. No, not, not at all, not at all. And Tunde, obviously Anthony loves a good knockout. Going to Russia, do you feel like he'll need the knockout to win or can you visualise him getting a decision if the fight were a close-ish fight? What's our record? That's, a, that's, that's the answer. What's the record? 18-0, 17-by-KO. <laughs> and, and, and the one in his second professional fight touched the floor twice, but he broke his hand. And as I'm, people may have heard me say it before, he came back to the corner he said, Unk, I broke my hand. I said, use the other hand. And it was a good mental experience for him very early on in his career. But from that point forward, it's KO. KO. Go back and look at Anthony's amateur career. Everybody got knocked out. He won the Harringay Box Cup. He knocked out everybody. We're, all we do is knockout. Decision doesn't even come into my mind. I'm just being honest. I don't even think about that. But to answer your question, I don't, I'm not swerving or, you know, I'm not swerving the question. I believe it will be a fair decision. I believe, I've got Russian friends. Again, it's whatever stance you take. It's whatever you put in your mind. Listen, as I've said, bad decisions happen in your court. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad decisions happen in Manchester, Men Arena. You know, there's bad people. People talk about Russia as some t- terrible place. Hold on. Hackney's terrible. <laughs> there's a terrible part of Hackney. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's, my man, it's what you put in your mind. And I have trained myself to see the positive in everything and everyone. Now, if they show me a different colour, I'll walk another way. But I don't focus on anything negative. And I believe that, you know... We, the WBO will appoint fair, neutral judges, but they won't be needed. <laughs> they won't be. They won't be needed. They won't be needed. They can go. They can come shake shack with us in Russia after the fight and celebrate with us because they won't be needed. Trust me. I ain't thinking anything else other than a knockout because it's what we do. You know, if it, our career is not littered with points decisions, it ain't. It's just a knockout. So if it ain't broke, we're not going to attempt to fix it. And we're not going to put that in our mind. You heard Anthony say on BT Schools Live, knockout. And he's only echoing what I've been openly saying from the start. I don't, treat, I don't teach people to go point. And any, any fighter that's ever trained with me will, will bear witness. O'Hara Davis, Craig Richards, Daniel Dubois, uh, Kevin Mitchell, Danny Williams. Harry Simon, the two-weight world champion, all these guys will tell you, all I talk about is knockout. That's all I talk about. So it's not that, oh, yeah, we're fighting Kovalev. Oh, yeah, let's look to box uh, uh, to a point decision. No, we'll get over there to knock you out. 
in your home in your hometown. And if Anthony goes out there and does the job, does get the knockout and becomes the WBO. Stop. Sorry, stop. win, win, stop. win, win, stop. win. That's yeah. it. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> I told you, you're, listen, man, you're a powerful guy. People are listening. So we want to we get this language right. <laughs> All this is talk. It ain't. It's when. So please, sorry, I miss you. I, I, I just heard if and I just switched That's off. it. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we from, when, let's go again. When Anthony. Oh. When, when Anthony goes out yeah. there and knocks Kovalev out, becomes the WBO champion of the world, do you think the British fans will give him that credit or will they make excuses like Kovalev's over the hill when he's clearly not? Well, listen, again, you have to understand, you know, this universal law that I keep talking about. It's a scientific law. It's polarity. What people do, what, I, what I've learned over the years, being in boxing, being on the streets of South London, is that there's always a small set of people that are negative. And I think that we as people, as human beings, as boxing fans, as journalists, as um, sports broadcasters, we magnify the negative people. <laughs> That's what we do. Because I just akin them to the chewing gum at the bottom of my shoe. They ain't relevant to me. I don't think about them and talk about them. And if they attempt to say a negative thing on any of my social media platforms, you already know what it is. Straight block. I block you. <laughs> I block them. <laughs> because they're not relevant. And I just feel that we have many more supporters than we have doubters or haters. There's not a lot of them. It's just that some people choose to magnify them. I just totally ignore them. And I don't say nothing bad about them. This past weekend, <laughs> two people that felt the need to criticise me and my trading methods in public, you see what happened to them. <laughs> this Saturday. Saturday just gone. Dave Allen and Dan Barker. See, I never attacked them. They attacked me. They said bad things about me. They mimicked my pad work. But guess what? We're fighting for the WBO world title. You lost at their old two on Saturday night. So... You know, I don't wish badness on anybody, but that's a lesson for those that take the mick of people who are in better positions than them, who have never said any negative words about them. That's your result. That's what happens. That's what happens. Mind your own business. Congratulate. Be positive. Have positive things to say about people. When a man... That when it doesn't go well for someone, you might learn something. Don't you understand what I'm saying? And, and that's how I am. That's how tender as I is. And everybody that's ever been around me knows that's me. I've been like this since I was a child. Everybody on the street, they know it. I'm a positive person. I can't help but be positive. And I don't go around disrespecting and talking negative about other, especially other boxers, because we all know how hard this sport is. You know, one punch, <laughs> we know what can happen. Yeah. We know the possibilities. So, this, you know, I don't disagree. Kovalev, as much as I joke around and everything, I said it the other day and I said it today. Well, I have to respect him. The guy, you know, you don't become a unified champion, a number one, once ring recognized top 10 fighter being a joker. In the same token, 
You don't get to fight a fighter of that caliber being a joker, being a ducker, being someone who... How can you even mention Hosea Burton? Have you looked at Hosea Burton's record? Come on. He's fought fish and chips, man. The one fight he fought, who ducked us, See, you got me talking like a you got me you got me in a fighting mood now. I haven't even said anything. <laughs> I know, I know, because that's me. I can talk forever. The one fighter who gave him a challenge, he got stopped. And that same fighter didn't want to fight Frank Bogolone. Yeah. Good friend of mine, great great man. Yeah, yeah. You know, very respectful person. Uh, but he got drawn in. He got drawn in into the yard uh, to the you know hate campaign started talking the talk and uh, I think people should keep our names out of their mouth unless they've got positive things to say about us because whenever, whenever you say anything negative about us it doesn't end up too well <laughs> No, it certainly <laughs> seems that way. But no, um, I, I just want to say, I think obviously if Anthony were to do this, this is, and I'm just going to throw it out. No. Here. Sorry, when, when, when you, thank you for correcting me, Tunde, thank you. <laughs> but I need you here yeah. every week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, when he does it, it, it surely becomes yeah. one of the, the best away wins that we've seen in Britain. I'm, I'm going to just throw it out there. That's, that's my opinion. Well, listen, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who's close with, let's say, certain hierarchy in boxing, they say when, they never said when, but I'm saying when, when we win this, this has got to go down as one of the biggest victories in the history of British boxing. Because, and I'll tell you why, and he had 12 amateur fights. He never had kickboxing fights prior to 12 amateur fights. No, he never. He had 12 amateur fights. And, uh, he was with me for 18 months before he turned professional. And he's been with me every day since. And uh, I've navigated it, the career, from the southern area level to the WBO European level to the WBO intercontinental level. And now we're here at the final door, the WBO World Light Heavyweight title against to number one recognized, let's get that right, light heavyweight on the planet Earth. And we're going to knock him up. And finally, Tunde, just before I let you go, I just really wanted to give you an opportunity if you had anything to say to our listeners before we let you go. If I haven't perhaps asked you something you want to get off your chest, the floor is yours, my man. Dream it, believe it, become it. Tune in. You've got to tune in weekly to Box Hard Podcast. It's the only place to be in an all of eternity. <laughs> Lions in the camp. <laughs> I, I appreciate yes, those sir. words, my friend. I really do. It is, it is a complete pleasure speaking with you, Tunde. It really is. Best of luck out there in Russia. I'll be crossing my fingers and toes. And when it happens, when he does do the job, we'll speak afterwards. And I'll be speaking to a world champion trainer in yourself. Thank you very much. The first of many. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Only one real piece of news to mention, and that is that uh, Vasily Lomachenko will be defending his world titles, obviously his WBA and WBO world titles, along with the WBC being on the line. Um, 
vacant that one. Uh, he takes on our very own Luke Campbell, the Olympic gold medalist, twenty and two. His resume or record, I should say, and obviously Lomachenko thirteen and one. It gives the British flight fans a chance to see him in London, in the capital, at the London's O2 Arena on August thirty first. So not too long really to wait there. Also on the undercard, we'll get to see the Olympian Joe Cordina nine and zero take on Gavin Gwynn eleven and zero. That should be a decent one for the British lightweight title. Um, as I say, you know, it'd be fantastic for Luke Campbell to win. Um, he is obviously the clear underdog. Um, but, you know, when he's really, really been in a fight that I think gets him highly motivated, for example, the Jorge Linares fight, he fought a brilliant fight and the, the knockdown really cost him the fight. So I think it will be a lot more competitive than many people think. I think Lomachenko's pretty small for lightweight. I think that Luke Campbell's one of the biggest lightweights in the world. I think the size may play a factor. Obviously, Luke being a southpaw, Luke being a hard hitter himself, a good body puncher. Um, it makes it interesting. It makes it interesting. Obviously, I, I'm not going to say that Luke's going to win. I, I don't think he's going to win. I think he probably gets stopped, actually. But I hope he doesn't. I hope he does win. We're British. We've got to get behind the Brit, haven't we? So all credit to Luke Campbell for taking the very tough fight. Um, a lot of people were saying he was trying to swerve Mikey Garcia. Well, if that really was true, then it's probably the silliest thing he's ever done because now he's obviously taking the Lomachenko fight. I don't think he's had much of a choice, to be honest, with the WBC getting involved, making weird calls on other organizations' champions. But it is what it is. He is actually having the fight, and he'll go into that believing he'll win, and he's really excited. Friend of the show, Luke Campbell, all the very best to you, my friend. Uh, moving over now to the preview part of the show, we're going to start here at the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore. A uh, couple decent fights on the undercard. Uriokis Gamboa, 29-2, takes on Roman Martinez, 30-3 with three draws. I think that's kind of the perfect fight, really, for Gamboa. If he loses that, then he probably is finished. That's a 10-rounder there. Uh, Ladarius Miller, 19-1, a guy who actually holds a win against Jamel Herring. He goes in against Jezreel Corrales, 23-2. We've got Ronald Gavril, 19-3. I'm not quite sure if he's still a Mayweather fighter. He probably is. Uh, two of his losses came to David Benavidez, but he put up a good fight in both of those fights. He takes on Vaughn Alexander, the brother of Devon Alexander, who's now 14-3. Uh, Emmanuel Elim, 18-1 with two draws, takes on Freddie Hernandez, 34-11. Um, but the main attraction, really, the top of the bill for the WBA Super World Super Featherweight title, Javonte Davis, with a record of 21-0, friend of the show. He takes on Ricardo Nunes, 21-2. The thing about Nunes, of his 21 wins, he's got 19 by knockout. Um... So, you know, you, you wouldn't expect it to go the distance. Um, Javonte Davis, he usually likes to get the job done early. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him do the same thing here. Uh, Nunes does have uh, two losses, like I say. One was by stoppage to a guy who was 10-3. and three. That was back in 2015. And he also got disqualified in his other loss back in 2010. It was just his second pro fight. So, um yeah, looking at his wins, hasn't really got anyone on, on the resume that I've even heard of, let alone 
you know, let alone anyone near the level of Javonte Davis, who arguably is a pound-for-pound fighter, um, you know, not based on what he's done, just the way he's done things, you know, he's a complete beast, Javonte Davis, so I think he gets Nunes out of there, should be interesting, that one's on Showtime, and the final bill to mention, it's a quick preview part here, we're going to start uh, with the undercard, it's actually at the College Park Center in Arlington, Texas, USA, a matchroom USA card, Eddie Hearn. Uh, Tremaine Williams, friend of the show. I think he was on last week or the week before. The mighty midget, 18-0. Tremaine Williams takes on the NFL Vicente, a guy with a record of 35-3 and three with two draws. Like I say, Vicente, a very big puncher, 27 knockouts. So way more knockouts than Tremaine Williams has even had fights. Um, so that one could be interesting. I mean, he's got a loss to Eric Hunter. But, you know, he's lost to kind of fringe guys, so you'd expect Tremaine Williams, who tells me he's the very best at his weight in the world. You'd expect him to win this one, so that'd be very interesting there. Also, we've got Tevin Farmer defending his IBF World Super Featherweight title, 29-4 and with one draws. He's in a 12-rounder against Guilame Frenoir, the guy that has the very uh, controversial split draw with John O'Carroll in his last fight. Basically, the winner of that fight was supposed to take on Tevin Farmer, and Tevin Farmer... Um, ended up fighting John O'Carroll, obviously won the fight, but he decided to give a shot to Fremoir anyway. It could just be a mandatory, I can't remember now. But anyways, whatever, the fight's coming on. And we had Tevin on talking about this a few weeks back before it was officially announced. I think he wins that one pretty easy. Um, you know, Fremoir, for a great-looking record, 46-1 and one with one draw, I don't think he's fantastic. I think he's a typical kind of French-slash-Italian fighter. You know how they like to pad the records out. He's he's probably a European-level fighter, really, Fremoir. But uh, another another kind of disappointing opponent, really, for Tevin Farmer, as much as I love the guy. And the final fight to mention that tops the bill, Jose Carlos Ramirez, 24-0. He takes on the undefeated Maurice Hooker, 26-0 with three draws. Maurice Hooker puts his WBO world title on the line. Ramirez puts his WBC world title on the line. Obviously, the other two belt holders in, in the division are Regis Progre and Josh Taylor. We'd love to see the winner of this fight here take on the winner of that fight there. And it will be for all four of the trinkets. But for now, we have to um, we have to really applaud these guys for getting it on, for pretty much copying what Taylor and Progray are doing. But they weren't obligated to do so. So credit to these guys for putting it all on the line here. Uh, we've gone to the predictions on it. Iaz has gone with uh, Hooker on points. You, the listeners, have gone with... Uh, let me just double check. You've gone with Hooker on points as well. And I think I'm actually going to go with Ramirez on points. So I'm going with with what I believe is probably an upset, judging by what you guys have picked there. Um, it should be an interesting fight. I just think that... I just think that Maurice Hooker... I mean, he's he's been okay. He's he's been he's been okay in his last few fights. I mean, a lot of people don't rate Salcedo. He didn't look fantastic against Les Pierre, despite winning very wide, and obviously beat Terry Flanagan on a split. I don't know. Ramirez has been pretty impressive back to back, really. You know, uh, aside from his last fight against Jose Cepeda, so it does make it very interesting. But it should make for a really interesting fight and made the best man win. But like I say, it's good to, to to have a bit of a divide there. Me going with, like I say, Ramirez on points. You, the listeners, and I as going with Hooker on points. So should be interesting. Made the best man win, but I don't really see either guy putting up a real threat to the winner of Regis and Taylor, in my honest opinion. But uh, still, really looking forward to the fight. It is a true fifty. 50 and that is about everything for the preview part of the show tried to whiz through that as quick as possible just before we wrap up part two and finally end the show the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest 
Just a quick note, though, before I bring in our second guest, it will be the former WBA heavyweight world champion, Lucas Brown. But the interview that we did, um, we did it just before his fight fell through this weekend against Tom Little. So half the questions I've asked are probably a little bit pointless to listen to, but I didn't want to cut them out of the interview completely, just in case the fight does get made again at some later stage. You may want to listen to them, so I've kept them in there. But we also do discuss other subjects like Dave Allen's loss to David Price, and I've things like Joshua's loss to Andy Ruiz Jr. So it is still a very informative and interesting interview. So stay tuned if you can. Thank you for sticking with me thus far. And here's the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA heavyweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Lucas Brown. Lucas, welcome back on the show, big man. Thank you for having me, mate. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having you, Lucas. So we last spoke, obviously, just before uh, your last fight against Dave Allen. Obviously, it's old news now, really, but I did just want to get a quick word about it because, in my opinion, you certainly won the first two rounds with relative ease, actually, before obviously being dropped by a perfect body shot in the third. How did you assess your performance there, Lucas? To be honest, uh, everything was going exactly to plan. Um, Dave's obviously known for having a great chin, um, so there was no point in me going out in the first two rounds trying to knock him out and, and end it early. So I was establishing myself, um, all the different sort of punches and that, that sort of thing, getting the flow of the actual fight. And then from sort of round three, four, five, I'd sort of take it back a step in regards to the amount of punches um, and start throwing a little bit heavier punches and then sort of see where that took us. So the, the, the plan itself was going exactly the way it should have. Um, but unfortunately, I got caught with an absolute cracker of a punch. And now the unfortunate part about something like that is 20 seconds later, I was completely fine. You know, and, and that's just the... Uh, it's probably worse that uh, obviously I didn't get knocked out in regards to punch to the head. Um, I didn't lose consciousness, but um, yeah... It wasn't nice to then lose uh, the second time at the O2. <laughs> yeah, no, because I actually, I, I agree with what you say there about, you know, it not being a headshot, because I, I will just say, on the podcast before the fight, I actually said, you know, I can't see it going the distance, someone's going to go, and if, if Lucas were to lose by knockout, I think that should be it for Lucas. But obviously, that's that's me thinking you're going to, you know, if, if you were going to go, it's going to be by a headshot. But seeing the fact that you won the first two rounds, like I say, with pretty much with, with pre- pretty much relative ease, to go with a perfect body shot like yeah. it was almost isn't a bad loss. Do you know what I mean? That's right. Yeah. Well, if I was, yeah, if I was going to lose one way, that'd be it. Um, the thing is, as well, like I think the first round I threw something like sixty-four punches, and the second round was seventy-three punches. Now, no one throws punches like that in the heavyweight division other than Kaunaki. Kaunaki is the only one that's that busy with punches. So, again, that was part of our plan to come out and throw a lot of punches, and, and it was all going perfectly. And obviously, you went back to Australia Australia after that with the, the result that you, know, you, you didn't expect. To go, obviously, Lucas, from beating a world champion in Russia to then lose to Dave Allen, did that kind of make you sit down and think about your future at all? To be honest, no, not really. Um, it's, it's always a learning experience. And, and if I was to get belted like I did uh, versus Dylan White, uh, but against Dave Allen, then 100%. But yeah, it was just one of those freaky body shots that, what are you going to do? You know, it's 10-ounce gloves in the heavyweight division, and it's a great body shot. Um, I didn't get cut. I didn't get beat up, all that sort of stuff. So I, I took everything great away from that fight, I think, 
from a social media and fan point of view, it was sensational as well. I think everyone really uh, received me well over here and in general. So I think there was so many more pluses to that fight than there was uh, negatives. And it was unfortunate, as you said, I, I was winning the fight. I believe I was going to win the fight. Um, unfortunately, I got caught with the silly little shot. Yeah, well said. Very true. And like I say, we move on. Next up is Tom Little. The fight takes place this Saturday at York Hall. I do kind of feel like at this stage of your career, you kind of need someone who will really get you motivated and, you know, perhaps even someone that talks a bit of trash. And Tom Little really does that. Am I right in saying that? Mate, he's got the biggest mouth I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it is one of those things. Like I, I'm literally going into this fight happy and willing to belt him and make him hurt because it just seems uh, it just seems right from my point of view. <laughs> Where is it in terms of com- you know comparing him to Dave Allen? Because there was a bit of like. Um kind of back and forth, but it was just banter. It was quite friendly. I think you you quite liked each other, really. But with, with Tom Little, I mean, he's gone a little bit overboard with some things, but it's quite funny at the same time. But where is, where are you? Where do you, where do you kind of compare the two like that? It, it is different. Like, myself and Dave Allen were just two two regular fellas with a sense of humour, um, and it wasn't mean or anything like that. It was just banter back and forth, which is great. Um, Tom Little definitely steps over the line, and he steps over the line too much. Uh, at the same time, like his record is ten and seven, so I don't realise why you would have such a big mouth for having a record the way you do. Um, if you can back it up, then it's a different story. Now, in, in regards to styles, he's like six foot seven and should have a much better style than he does. So, again, I don't know why he's got a big mouth and, and thinks he he probably needs to talk himself into a fight. To be honest, so. Um, from that point of view, it's working. Um, have you seen much of him, Lucas? Because a lot of his fights have obviously been on pretty small hall shows. Have you have you seen much of him at all? Um, obviously, the, the, the beauty of having um, you know, YouTube and everything these days, you can you can always find something. Um, and I said, as I said, I don't think he fights the way a six foot seven guy should. Much like sort of Price did over the weekend uh, versus Allen, he, he fought long, which was great, and I, I think. Yeah, he should be fighting long, and he doesn't, which is better for me because I'm kind of come come through and steamroll him anyway. But um, yeah, going up the likes, people like uh, Dubois and stuff like that, I suppose he can't fight too long. He has to sort of go up against the ropes and just take it. And in your opinion, Lucas, how do you see this fight playing out between yourself and Tom Little this Saturday? Uh, I, I see it, obviously, in my head. I visualise what's going on and everything else. Um, I believe I'm just going to walk forward constantly and land as much as I can. I'm going to... Not, not, not obviously go for the knockout, but I want to knock him out. So I'll be, I'll be landing bigger shots, uh, nice stiff jabs, uh, body and head, the whole lot. So he's going to have a very hard night. And you mentioned there about the the, the fight on the weekend between Price and Allen. Now, uh, what did you make of it? Because I mean, no matter what people think about yourself, if they think good or bad things, you you couldn't have put up a worse effort than Dave Allen did and that's just me being fair to be honest I mean it was quite impressive really from Price I think yep. a lot of people didn't expect him to box like that that's right um, well the unfortunate part is and I suppose I'll, I'll take it as a compliment where I don't think Dylan White uh, on the weekend fought very well either now hmm. both Dylan White and Dave Allen were in the best shape and fought the best fight against me so I'll, I'm going to take that as a compliment <laughs> now um I don't think Dave Allen fought very well at all, but at the same time, I think Price fought perfectly. 
Price fought exactly the way he should have with the jab, uppercut, and kept him long. And I thought he fought very, very well. And I was very impressed. I, I was assuming he was going to sort of die after the four rounds like he normally would. But um, he kept it going. He kept his composure and he fought extremely well. And obviously one fight at a time. But when you were going into that Allen fight, you kind of had one eye on David Price should you get, you know, should you win that fight. Um, is David Price now a guy yeah. that you still target perhaps if you get a win here? Oh, 100%. I, I think it's, um, I don't know what's going on with Dave Allen in regards to whether he's retiring or not. Um, he obviously does take a few too many punches to the face, uh, which isn't good for longevity. But um, Price, you know, he, he's there, he's got a win. Um, he's got a great following here in the UK. People want to see the fight and he's got a belt now. So it's 100% something that I'll be chasing as well. And just finally, really, uh, Lucas, we haven't spoke since Joshua's loss to to, uh, to Andy Ruiz Jr. What did you make of that? Were you shocked? To be honest, no. Um, I believe when Andy Ruiz fought Parker, I believe Ruiz won by two rounds. So, in all honesty, Ruiz should have already been a world champion yeah, a while back. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. He, he, without being rude to the guy, he looks like shit. He's a little fat fucker. But he can fight like a machine. He's fast as hell and got great technique. So I wasn't surprised that he gave it to Joshua because you, you can't box Joshua, especially being the shorter guy. You have to go in and you have to basically try and bully him, which I think he did, and he was very successful at. And just before I let you go, Lucas, any closing words at all for our listeners if you just want to send a quick message before we let you go, my friend? Basically, mate, um, I, I think, yeah, I'm 40 years old, uh, but at the same time, I'm still learning, I'm still going, I'm still getting better every time, um, and I think I'm going back to a bit more of an older style where just knockouts are the key. You know, I just want to go in, and instead of trying to be the boxer and trying to prove to everyone that I can box, I'm just going to go in and be devastating and knock people out, which is what I'm good at. So hopefully um, there's a few more you know, great fights on the line for me. Um, and some money and everything else, but uh, just just keep watch because there's big things coming. I'm sure the fans will love to hear that. But listen, Lucas, it is honestly always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Best of luck for Saturday. I really hope that you do a job and get a nice win, and I'm sure that we'll speak sometime after. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 197 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. If you've stuck with me throughout the whole show, then I sincerely want to thank you so much for doing so. I truly do. Um, I've been on my own doing the whole show, like I say, two weeks running now. I do also want to thank our two guests on this week's show, the trainer of the WBO number one ranked light heavyweight in the world, Mr. Tunde Jai, and the former WBA heavyweight world champion, Mr. Lucas Brown. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on the lead with 13 points, Ayaz is in second place with 8 points and you the listeners are in third place with 7 points uh, best of luck with the predictions this weekend, there has been one very troubling piece of news break whilst I've been recording the show and that is that Dillian White supposedly failed a drugs test prior to fighting Oscar Rivas um, I don't really want to speculate on it too much because the details seem very unclear at this stage but it's obviously disgraceful if White has actually failed a test, again I don't really know the full details but if he has fouled then obviously the fight should go down as a no contest and he should be banned from boxing um, I really do hope that there's some kind of explanation for this because people taking drugs to get an edge in a fight when someone just last weekend lost their life really does leave a bit of taste in my mouth and that is putting it extremely lightly but there's not much I can really do about it we just have to wait and see what happens but that is about everything though from me this week thank you all for listening to this week's show enjoy your weekends people and we shall see you all again next week